I've, I've got some information. I've got some information from you from the shipping container. Some dude on Twitter says he's going to LA. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's it. That's some dude who apparently is close to LeBron is tweeting people, telling them, trophy time, get ready to all the people in LA. Tweet Kyle Kuzma, you tweet a carry champion, you know, all the Laker luminaries. Right, but who is this dude? Like, I have dudes, tell, you know, they're tweeting me that he's coming to Miami. He's, so. he's some dude. He's, he's no inferno, let me put it that way. He's no inferno? No, he's okay. just some dude need to pump up my main man cuffs. First of all, we like on this show and in life, I like to buy value stocks, buy them low before they pop, right? You like to buy low, sell high. I told you guys about Cuffs the Legend a while back. He's been out there, you know, Kevin Durant's in his Instagram mentions. Uh, He's friendly with LeBron. He's gotten in with the NBA players. I'm just telling you guys, you want to buy an early NBA stock. This guy is funny. He's interesting. He's plugged in. You've got to kind of read between the lines as to what he's saying on some stuff. Our next guest is an NBA analyst, a basketball trainer, and a social media influencer. He goes by the name of Cuffs the Legend. And you can follow him on Twitter right there. At Cuffs, C-U-F-F-S, The Legend. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Some Dude Sunday Sermon. Oh, yes. Shout out to my guy, Willie, on the keys. You're doing a great job, Willie. You got the car wash bumping. You paint houses on the side. And you come here every Sunday and you play this organ, Willie. I got a message today for y'all. Look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor right now and say, hey, you got to relax. You got to relax. Today's word is on my heart. I was riding here in my new Mercedes Benz this morning. And I know you got bald tires, ladies. I know you got bald tires, fellas. But I had to come here in my Mercedes this morning. I had to get this off my chest. Because a lot of men are dealing with mental health. A lot of us men are battling. We fighting that fight. You never know what a man is going through. You never know what a man is going through. You never know what that man got going on in his heart and his mind. You never know. I know y'all saw the movie Unhinged. You saw that movie Unhinged? Where the guy got fired at his job and he just went on a killing spree. He went on a rampage. He took it out on everybody. Everybody thought he was crazy. But the moral of the story is you never know what a man is going through. If you at the gym working out, you at the gym running on the treadmill, you at the gym on the elliptical machine, and you look beside you, and you see a man running on the treadmill with jeans on, that man got a lot on his damn mind. He might be unhinged because you never know what a man is going through. You never know. If you're on the highway driving and you pull up beside a man at the stoplight and he's listening to Rod Wave, he got a lot on his mind and he might be unhinged because you never know 
You never know what a man is going through. If you're riding through your neighborhood after work, you're riding through your neighborhood and you see a man sitting in his garage with an adult beverage in his hand, that man got a lot on his damn mind. And he might be unhinged because you never know. You never know what a man is going through. I know a lot of y'all, y'all be at work. You be crossing paths with a lot of different type of individuals from all backgrounds. But if you're at your job and you see a man shaking the vending machine, he's shaking that fucking. Oh, I can't cuss. Oh, I can't cuss the church. It's my church. I'm going to do what I want to do. Because I'm past the jig Jenkins. But if you're at work and you see a man shaking the vending machine, He's willing to go to jail for 75 cents. That man has a lot on his damn mind. And he might be unhinged. Because you never, ever, ever know what a man is going through. Shout out to my guy Willie on the keys. See, I thought it was fake at first. I thought it was fake at first. When I saw Will Smith walk up there on that Oscar stage and snuff the legendary Chris Rock. But you got to look at it like I just told you before. You never know what a man is going through. And that right there is what unhinged looks like, fellas. Ladies and gentlemen, that right there in Will Smith's eyes, you saw that rage? That's what being unhinged looks like. Because you never know what a man is going through. I got to admit, Will Smith, Will Smith knocked the sonic rings out of Chris Rock in front of the whole world at the most whitest event in America. Oh, man. And Will Smith just walked right back to his seat Like a little kid That just got saved At Sunday's church <laughs> I hate it had to be Chris Rock Man I hate it had to be you Chris But you gotta realize something What's the lesson to be learned in that situation y'all Congregation what lesson can we learn from Will Smith and Chris Rock? Emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence. It's one of the toughest battles we all face. It's one of the toughest battles the devil has ever put in front of us. Emotional intelligence. We got to pray for Will. We got to pray for Chris. Because a lot of dudes, y'all don't realize this. A lot of dudes do not realize this. When you out here talking shit and you out here pushing people's buttons, you don't even realize that you about to get somebody else's ass whooping. See that ass whooping last night? 
that we saw Will Smith give Chris Rock. Well, it wasn't. It really wasn't an ass whooping, but that snuff we saw last night, that ass whooping was meant for somebody else. It wasn't for you, Chris Rock. It could have been for August Alcina. It could have been for Tupac. It wasn't for you, Chris. But Chris Rock ate that shit. <laughs> Shout out to Willie on the keys. Chris Rock, he ate that shit. Because he knew it was not meant for him. It was for August. The jig is hovering. Look at your neighbor. I say, look at your neighbor and say, I promise. I promise to keep my cool. Look at your neighbor right now and say it. I promise to keep my cool. I promise to remain humble when these motherfuckers be trying to push my buttons out here and make me act like a pure nigga. I promise. Look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor right now and say, I promise I would not go fool Mike Lowry in a room full of bougie white people. Will Smith, you a legend. I am legend. AKA Mike Lowry. You never know. You never ever know what a man is going through. So at this time, all the ushers, all the ushers, I need you to come forward, all the ushers. I'm going to have all the ushers pass around the collection plates. Yeah, I know we need a new roof on the church. I know we got some broken doorknobs. I know the bathrooms are horrendous. Yeah, I know the roof is messed up. I know the water be leaking on y'all when it rains. I know that. But Pastor Jig Jink is going to take care of all that. Because I need that new Mercedes Benz. I need that Mercedes EQS. You seen that joint, that electric joint? I got to have it. I got to have it, baby dog. Praise the Lord. Before I go, I just want to say, watch how you talk to people. Always be kind. Always use your signal lights. No more road rage. But you got to stop talking crazy about people's wives. Make sure you follow me on Instagram at Pastor Jig Jenkins. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Willie on the keys one more time. You wanted Mike Lowry? You got him. Right here. That's Mike. Oh, Mike Lowry. I'm going home to my wife to get my quality time. Yes. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Some Do Show. I am your host, Cuffs the Legend, once again. See, I told y'all I'm more than just basketball. 
I'm more than just sports talk. I'm more than just comedy and and jokey jokes, man. I'm more than I'm more than that. I have layers, man. And I wanted the some do show to have those same layers. Cause this right here is a multi-dimensional podcast for the people. Cause I'm some dude. And I told y'all when I started this journey, there's no other podcast like this in the entire world. And I'm approved that. You know, I had a lot of people, man, growing up, I had a lot of people tell me, yo, Cuffs, you a therapist, man. You should be a you should be a therapist. Yeah, but I don't really have the paperwork to prove that. You know, I don't really have the paperwork to prove that. So <laughs> I had to reach out to a guy that's that's very interesting to me. He's a very funny, charismatic guy. He's doing his thing out there in Hollywood. He's a Hollywood mental health expert. And I had to bring him on the Some Do Show to talk to the people. I want to welcome to the Some Do Show, my guy, Dr. Kojo Sarfo. Did I have that right, Doc? Kojo Sarfo. Yeah, I'm surprised. You said it perfectly. Wow. I appreciate that. Yeah, man. Welcome to the Some Do Show, man. So I've been watching you. You got TikTok videos. You know, you got your Instagram popping. Let's talk a little bit. Give the people out there listening to the Some Do Show. Give them the background and the backstory of Dr. Kojo. Oh, for sure. So, uh, you know, the name Kojo is a, a name for a male born on Monday in uh, Ghana, which is a small country in uh, West Africa. So I was born in Ghana and then I uh, left when I was one. You know, we moved to Norway, you know, which is a, another small country in Europe. So we're there for about five, six years. And um, after that, we moved to Nashville, Tennessee. And then we split time between Nashville and Atlanta. Uh, and, uh, that's, I feel like that's why, like, I have so many different perspectives, you know, like being in Ghana for a year. I didn't remember that cause I was a kid, but living in Norway and then moving straight to, you know, section eight housing in Nashville, Tennessee was like a rude awakening. So I've been in a couple of different environments and I just kind of use those experiences, uh, to help me, you know, with what I'm doing now as a content creator out here in LA. So you went from Ghana to Norway to Atlanta, Nashville, that's a smorgasbord of, of culture. You know, that's a right. smorgasbord of culture, man. So what inspired you to get into the medical field and become a mental health expert? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, for me, you know, I you know I have my own personal struggles. I have ADHD, uh, but I wasn't diagnosed until I was 25. So it was something that I knew I had, but, like, you know, we didn't have insurance growing up. So my parents couldn't really, you know, get me to a doctor to, to tell me that I had it officially, but... I saw kids taking meds, you know, uh, in, in grade school, and I knew that I had it, so I just kind of identified with it, you know. So anytime I was in a position to help out other people, I did that. Um, and then, you know, I was a, a poor high school student, um, failing the classes left to right, and uh, my dad was like, you got to do something. You know, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, I, I don't know. I, I might rap. And he asked me again, he's like, what do you want to do with your life for real? I was like, I don't know. So um, he's like, I tell you what, how about you go into the medical field? Give me, he said, give me two years, two, three years, go get a nursing degree. And um, at least that way you'll be financially stable. And after that, you can go rap or whatever. So uh, I took his <laughs> advice. Uh, I went to uh, the University of South Alabama for my first year. I got my prereqs done there. Then I got an RN degree. Uh, I finished that up when I was 20. 
And then I went back for my bachelor's. And then um, Augusta University, my alma mater, they uh, came up with a, a DMP program, right? So it's a nurse practitioner program. Uh, you stay in school for a little bit longer and you get your doctorate. So I got that degree uh, with a specialty in psychiatry and mental health. And then after that, you know, I took, um, I taught at AU, Augusta University, for three years. But then after that, I went to Virginia, Southern Virginia, to go work um, to do forensic psychiatry out there. And, uh, you know, I was just working, you know, and I finally, you know, made it to where I wanted to be, you know, as a kid. Like I was in uh, the oldest psychiatric hospital in the U.S., you know, and I'm helping out people who had you no know, criminal charges and people who have schizophrenia, bipolar disorder. So uh, it was kind of like full circle for me because like growing up as a kid with ADHD, you have all these different experiences where, you know, like you're a little bit late the class or like you're, you're behind on stuff or like you just kind of zone out. Like you just feel like you're like on the outside looking in. So for me to be able to get into the medical field, to get my doctorate and to, to help out patients, um, that was, uh, that was like, I felt like I could die. Like I, I, cause I had achieved what I needed to do. So the social media, which came after that was like a bonus, you know, but I, all I wanted to do was just help people, um, you know, because of the struggles I had as a kid growing up. So let's talk a little bit about ADHD. Cause you said you have it, you, you know, you're diagnosed with it, but you didn't get, you didn't find this out until you was like, what you say? 20, 25, 25. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So let's talk about ADHD. What are some of the signs of ADHD? Like it could be some little can, can trigger that, right? Like smacking, hearing other people smack food. I see that. I saw that on one of your videos. Right. So the thing with ADHD is people people think it's a condition where you can't pay attention, but it's actually the opposite. So it's a neurodevelopmental condition, right? So you're born this way where you you have a hard time regulating your attention, right? So you might pay attention to the wrong thing at the wrong time when you should be paying attention to something else. And it's hard for an individual with ADHD to go from task to task. You know, there's a likelihood of getting distracted, right? So with the series I have on TikTok, talking about some of the sensory issues, a lot of times when people have ADHD, they don't just have that. Like, it'll be hard for them to sometimes, you know, maybe get up in the morning, they might struggle with some depression or anxiety or eating disorder. Uh, And a lot of people with ADHD, you see them have sensory difficulties. So they may have a hard time, like with the little, like, like smacking, for example, for me, if somebody's smacking, I hate it. Uh, it I, I hate it. I hate it. It, it, it could be the the baddest chick in the world. It's gonna be a turnoff for me, and I, I gotta say something about it. Like I like I used to bite my tongue, but now I have to because it makes me feel like I I want to scratch my skin, you know. So it, it could be that. It could be like the tags on the back of the clothing that could frustrate you. It could be bright lights. Um, so there's so many things that are a part of the ADHD experience that people don't talk about because it might not be like the actual like diagnostic criteria, which is like, you know, this organization, you know, interrupting people, uh, mid conversation, um, you know, being forgetful, being late, but there's so much that goes to it. Uh, and once people can like put a name to it, then it helps them feel better because, you know, like you might think that you're an asshole because you don't like loud noises or people interrupting you. But then when you figure out that, Oh, Oh, this is my ADHD then you can explain it to somebody and it, it can literally save relationships and marriages, you know, because sometimes you might not want to have somebody, you know, brush up on you 24 seven. So if you can say, Oh, 
the doctor diagnosed me with ADHD, and sometimes I have these sensory difficulties that can prevent an argument, you know? So I think a lot of people are just not learning that. And I, I'm, I'm learning myself too. Every day is a, a learning journey for me. Yeah. Cause I hate, I hate standing in long lines. I hate waiting in long yeah, lines. That's the worst. Oh my God. I'll, that's, that's the worst. I'll, I'll pay whatever I can do to, if it's Disney or universal to get the fast pass or, um, yeah, I can't do the lines. I can't do it. I saw in one of your videos that the texture of certain foods, that's, that's a, yeah. that's a sign. So it's, it's not like a sign. Um, so it's not part of the diagnostic criteria for ADHD, but if you struggle with sensory difficulties, there's certain conditions where people tend to struggle with those sensory difficulties. Uh, ADHD is one of the main ones that I've seen. You see it in, uh, people who have autism, uh, and then you have something called sensory processing disorder, which you can have individuals who struggle with those types of things. Um, but you see it a lot in ADHD. Uh, and I've seen that specifically a lot with patients, like the texture of certain foods. Like some people, uh, like whether it's like in the video, I was using rice cakes, but some people can't eat rice cakes. Some people don't like bananas because of the texture of the food. Yeah, um, that's me. And that could be, it, it, that's me too. You know, and, you know, as a guy too, you eat a banana with the guys and, you know, they're looking at you funny. So that adds on to it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> You know, the, the texture could, you know, that could, like, that could throw you off. And I've seen this happen with a lot of people with ADHD. Something as small as, you know, maybe the parents forcing the kids to go hug somebody that they, they want to hug or maybe force them to eat, like, a certain food that they don't want to have. I've seen that. They, I've seen that. They don't, like, don't want to do that. And then, of course, with ADHD, you have a hard time regulating your emotions sometimes. So now you might go into a, a temper tantrum. And if this happens at school... You know, you could be labeled as a a bad kid, and I've seen it to where, let's say, you have like three boys, and that's the oldest of the the boys, and he's labeled as a bad kid. Then when the kids that come after him, right, the siblings, the teachers are gonna think, oh, this last name, he's a bad kid. So sometimes they put that label on kids, um, and it's hard for you to to shake out of that. So a lot of people, I look at the DMs a lot. I can't really reply for legal purposes, but. I looked at the DMs and I get so many examples of people saying things like this, like, oh, thank you so much. Like, now I had this talk of my, my child's teacher and now we switched it up and he's doing better. So it's mind blowing to see what the um, their reaction has been. That's some great information, Doc. You're on the Some Do Show right now with Hollywood yeah. mental health expert, Dr. Kojo Sarfo. I got to ask you this yeah. question right here. Cause I have a lot of parents. I have a lot of parents who listen to the some do show. They got kids of all ages. So what are the signs that your child might have ADHD? All right. So for a child, a lot of times, sometimes it might not be as simple as our, so you have the classic signs, right? So with ADHD, you have a couple of different forms. You have the form that's more so inattentive, right? And then that's, uh, you know, when people used to say ADD back in the day, that's what they're referring to. Like they say, oh, my son's so ADD. So they're probably trying to say that, oh, he's disorganized. He, he uh, spaces out. He daydreams in class. He's behind on assignments. Uh, he doesn't do things until the last moment. That was so me. That, that was me as a kid. For sure. That was me too. And, and that type of child, like you learn to cope by doing things at the last second. You get good at it to where you can you can get things done or you can pass without really studying. So you learn how to just kind of, 
roll with the punches, you know. Then you have the other type, um, which is uh, the hyperactive. And this is a kid that can't really sit still, um, you know, interrupting people, jumping from place to place, having a hard time gathering your thoughts, feeling like your thoughts are racing so fast. So you have, that's like the hyperactive um, type of ADHD in a nutshell. And then you can have the combined where people have like some of the inattentive symptoms, like they might be forgetful and easily distracted. And on the other uh, end of the spectrum, you can have people who are like impulsive, like hyperactive. But a lot of times I see ADHD to be kind of like a spectrum, kind of like autism in, in that sense. Yeah. Not that it, it's not like autism, but like, you know, with autism, people say, oh, this person is high functioning or that person is low functioning. With ADHD, it's the same way, but not really with the function part, but just with the fact that there's so many different, like, different levels. There's different levels. Right, that you could kind of fall into. So you take all these symptoms, and and for a child, like you would want to see the impairment, like if they're having a hard time focusing and they're being a little jumpy, you would have to see that in two different settings, right? So you have to see it at home, then you have to see it in at school. Because if a child is like a rock star at home, but they go to school and they can't focus, then it's, it might not. It's probably not ADHD. Maybe something with the the school environment. It's throwing them off. But if you're seeing it at home, at school, at least two different settings, right? At home, at school, at church, um, then it's time to have that conversation with your doctor. And a lot of times it's the elementary school teachers who actually catch on to it first. And then they'll bring it up in like a parent-teacher conference. And then the parents will watch the kid at home and they'll be like, oh. Oh, they see it child. now. They see it now. Right. Right. So so shout out to the, the first and second grade teachers out there. A lot of them are the... Uh, the heroes behind the scenes. Yeah. Shout out to the teachers, man. Cause they, they seen a lot. It's like, they seen the playbook over and over so they can see those signs. Right. So let's talk yeah. about mental health, doc, Dr. Kojo. Yes, mental health is a big topic in America. Like we all deal with it in some capacity. Kevin Love was one of the first NBA players, you know, to come out and speak about mental health. And then we saw the Michael Beasley interview just recently on the pivot podcast. Like it was yeah. a very heartbreaking interview it was passionate it was transparent but i feel like it was very much needed in this space right now with a lot of guys dealing with things we see what's happening yeah we see what's happening to guys like russell westbrook all the trolling from the fans all the heckling so why do you think it's so hard for so many pro athletes nba guys nfl guys to finally open up and speak about their mental health because i feel like it should be celebrated yeah i think it should be celebrated and you know, it's interesting because as an athlete, especially as a male athlete, it's kind of like you're a gladiator. You know, they celebrate people who are tough and people who don't, you know, uh, you know, complain about anything. Like I, I was, I'm a Titans fan, so I used to see Steve McNair play with a Bruce Sternum, and they would celebrate players for playing through pain. Yeah, it's toughness, you know, so, being tough. Ex- exactly. So you take somebody like Kevin Love. Remember when he first came in the league and. Was with Minnesota double double, you know, every night like that type of guy. Like, there's an intimidation factor that you you see with Mike Tyson. You kind of want your opponents to fear you in a sense, you know. So, with mental health, it was always seen as like a sign of weakness. So, if it's like you couldn't really be a badass and you know drop thirty points a game and then talk about going to therapy because, like, um, like it makes the guys feel like. Wow. It's a kink in your armor. It's like a kink in your armor. Exactly. Took the words out of my mouth. So just by them knowing that you go to therapy, like it makes them feel as if they have an advantage over you. So it's hard to be vulnerable. Uh, and it's not helping out anybody because 
the trauma that, you know, people are picking up collectively um, just by living life. And people, I tell people all the time, be careful what you watch, be careful what you expose yourself to. Like you can get PTSD just by witnessing or hearing something that's traumatic. You don't have to experience it firsthand. So you have to protect yourself. Uh, and as an athlete, um, you know, depending on the type of environment you come from, some athletes coming from tough environments and you finally get to this level where, you know, you're a multimillionaire and there's going to be a level of paranoia there. You don't know who to trust. You know, you never had these conversations about money or women, you know, or family, uh, you know, so like Michael Beasley, you're in a good position to be taken advantage of. And then it becomes hard to trust people. Um, and as you know, we need people in, in, in life. Like you need, we need each other. You know, there's all, always like, you know, bickering back and forth in politics and, you know, with all these issues. But we need each other as individuals. And as guys, we've really got to speak up for ourselves. So I think that, you know, anytime an athlete like Kevin Love speaks up and shares a story, it's a sign of strength, you know. And then uh, you saw DeMar DeRozan talk about depression. And uh, people don't realize that you can be depressed and still smile every day, you know. And there shouldn't be any, like, every player should have room to experience all the emotions like when uh, the Rosen was traded and I think he hung up on the Raptors GMs uh, um, uh, he hung up on the, the GM because he was hurt yeah he was you know, hurt normal, yeah right that's a normal emotion you're going to be hurt if you see your team win uh, a championship you know without you it's kind of like seeing like your favorite ex go get married it, like ooh. everybody's gonna yeah. right the, when you said ooh like I I felt that too because I'm thinking about like some <laughs> girl that I dated, you know, being happy with another guy on Instagram. Like we all go through these things as, as men, but we don't talk about it. So even something as simple as the Westbrook, Westbrook thing, um, it is hurtful and it's different from because people will say back in the day in the, the 90s, you had Michael Jordan, you know, Charles Oakley, or people were trash talking, right? But it's different because social media amplifies everything nowadays right so if somebody's saying westbrook 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 and disrespecting him or bringing people's kids into the equation at that point it it it's a, a small form of trauma that the athlete has taken on over and over and over and at some point it does affect you if it doesn't affect your play it's going to affect you as a man which is even more important because you can see the game it was over, you can see right. it. You can see it with Westbrook. You can see it starting to take his toll. You can see it on his face, his body language. So you do you think all the negative comments, do they really take a toll on a guy like Westbrook? Because I've seen it all year, like I said, his body language. But he he's starting to play better. But I feel like, honestly, speaking from a basketball standpoint, he was never embraced by the city from day one. I agree. And I think that, obviously, the Lakers got off to a – kind of a rocky start and being here in LA is like they expect like excellence so if you start off like a little shaky in the beginning everybody is already kind of like upset you know and and, and of course like you know the championship is uh, the standard out here in this city but you still have to like like there's a difference and like you're a man so like you would never respect and just by watching your content you would never res- uh, disrespect Russell to his face, right? No. But you have the right to say, you can't shoot three for seven, you know, because, and even he'll tell you, like, I shouldn't shoot such a low percentage, right? But there's a difference uh, with social media nowadays and 
with, you know, the things that are swirling online. Because you can take somebody's performance and you can make memes of it. And one meme can go viral and get millions of views. And literally a kid who knows nothing about basketball can come to watch you play for the first time. And all they're thinking about is a meme. Or they may even think your name is Westbrook because that's what they see on TV. That's what the, the new TV is, is the phones. Yes. You know, so I do think that it does take a toll on you. Um, I, I can't, I'm not sure. I can't say if it specifically is taking a toll on him this season. Uh, I, I still feel like he's one of the greatest point guards to ever play the game. So maybe it's just an off year for him. But these things do affect athletes, you know. So every athlete takes it differently. But I know that because um, they're human beings, you know, any, any hurtful comment, uh, that is said about an athlete is going to hurt, you know, and think about they have families and, and, and wives and, and kids. And when they read those comments about their father online, that's not going to make them happy, you know? So there's actual, actual people involved, you know, uh, and this, and, and people don't understand that at the end of the day, when the game is over, these guys, a lot of them are friends with each other. Like I was at the game in Boston, you know, when Kyrie came back and they were booing him. And at the end of the game, he went to go um, hug uh, Jason Tatum's mom. You know, so it's a game, but, like, these are still real people, real emotions, and the things that you say, and depending on how viral it goes, and a random person with, like, a SpongeBob picture can make a tweet. (laughs) There it is. If it's funny enough, that tweet will have a million, like, retweets by the next day, and that tweet will reach that athlete. So you'll be sitting there at home and you'll be reading about some random person. Um, and, and the people would never say this to you in real life, but they'll say it online. And either way, you're being exposed to that trauma. You know, so something has to be done. So whether I think with Westbrook, they prevented um, the Kings prevented uh, the NBA prevented the Kings from playing a certain song when he was there or there's certain things that they're doing. Um, but I'm, I'm a big fan of it uh, because like from my perspective, I've seen how this thing works. Like trauma can linger. Uh, and if you don't talk about it, I think every professional team should have a, a mental health professional there to talk to these players uh, because this is insane. And, and LeBron James, for example, think about him in Miami and the, the trauma that he's picked up from fans along the way. That's not healthy. It's not you healthy. Know, a, not at all. From a, a, a professional standpoint, that's not healthy. So, I mean, just to be able to persevere and to to still play at a high level, that's remarkable, and he should be celebrated. But we shouldn't have to make him the standard and say, oh, LeBron did it, so other players can do it. Uh, you know, that's a good nobody point. Knows, that's a good yeah, point. Nobody knows the, the type of help he has. You know, he got a praying mom, you know, uh, a wife that's supportive. You know, so nobody knows, but, like, to expect one player to – uh, you know, go through it and excel and say, oh, every other player can go through it. No, because people have different situations, you know, and on a sports team, you can have a guy with 50 mil guaranteed. This is more uh, likely in the NBA. So you can have a guy with 50 mil guaranteed and then the guy in the next locker uh, is on a, a, two-way. a one-year contract. Yeah, a two-way deal. Right, exactly. Just like the, the a two-way or a 10-day contract. So people's financial situations are different. So that's why when, uh, you know, Kaepernick is kneeling or things are happening. You can't expect every guy to, you know, to take a knee because people people got families to take care of and they're about big mama at home, 
you know, so you really have to like, ind- like look at it from an individual perspective and understand that every guy needs, Yes. you have different needs and you have different wants, right? So what could be a want for somebody might not be a want for somebody else, right? But you have to focus on the needs. If you need a certain thing and you're not going to get it or you're not getting it, then you're going to have an issue, you know? So mental health, uh, especially Ben Simmons, that's another example. Um, Talk know, about it. Talk thing. about it, Doc. Talk about it. The things that were said about Ben Simmons and like any basketball player who watches or any fan who watches him play, the guy is extremely talented. Like he was supposed to be the next LeBron. And he he would like the guy, he's one of the, the probably the top 30 best basketball players in the world, if you think about it. You know, so for him to be like, and if I were like, I don't know the guy personally, but if I were somebody talking to him, I would recommend that he does not turn on SportsCenter because if he turn on the TV, literally him turning on the TV, and you know if they're playing that clip of him, you know cutting to the basket and then passing it up, that could be traumatic for him. You know, so I don't know why he's not playing or I, like nobody knows what's going on behind the scenes. So it's just best to not assume that um, you know so and so was faking or whatever. But uh, a lot of this. Like that could be traumatic for him, just watching that replay um, and having to be exposed to so much, you know, feedback from the public and people. And the worst thing about it is that the people who are giving their hot takes and the most viral takes, they're not even coming from the people on TV. They're coming from somebody who just tweets something. Can we talk about that? Can we talk about that, Doc? Can I talk about, you said it earlier, the SpongeBob avatars, and I like to call those type of people the Dog Abby Twitter world. What is it about these people? Because I've dealt with these people in real life. I've had some real life confrontations that didn't really end good for that oh, person. Boy. Yeah, like I had real life catfish, man. So what is it about these <laughs> men? Because it's always a it's always a man or a child yeah. or, or somebody. It's always a male behind yeah. these avatars. So why do you think so many men create burner accounts? With a with a dog avatar or a SpongeBob avatar, and they get on Twitter or Instagram or any social media platform, and they feel like they can say these things to these pro athletes. But then when they see them in person, as we've seen with Westbrook, we've seen it this year with several guys, uh, Devin Booker the other night, uh, Ke- right. Kevin Durant. Why don't these guys have that same energy in real life when they stand in front of these people? It's, it's it's remarkable when you think about it. I think it has to do with a lot of jealousy and, and envy. And you see, and I agree with you. Every time, because I, I have trolls too, and I feel like they're all men. You have trolls, uh, Doc? Yeah, I, I have trolls. You know, I have people who on TikTok, you know, like they can't say the word, but they'll write N-I-G and they'll put a space and they'll put R afterwards. You know, so I have trolls of people who will like, leave hateful comments uh and the thing i like about facebook so shout out to facebook because i was actually on a call with them um and they gave me a point of contact to support my content uh and uh they have taken the extra measures to support their creators and, and their public figures uh like if i block somebody they're gonna block every account that that person makes because sometimes you know they'll make another account with like a Maybe it was SpongeBob, and now it was going to be like a Barney avatar, but it's coming from the same IP address, right? Yeah. So Facebook has actually done that to where if I block one person, it's going to block every account. That they, I hope TikTok does that because you get the trolls, and it's it's coming from somebody who is jealous. 
it's something that that player has that they want or something that that creator has. Because for me, like, I just post my videos out there. And, of course, I mean, you can go into race and say maybe people don't want to see a black man win. I, I don't know what the case is. That's, that I is a factor. It. That is a factor, Doc. I, I'm sure it's a factor. And, I, you know, I went to Augusta University to get my doctorate. Like, I didn't go to Harvard or Yale, but, uh, I mean, I have the number one psychiatry person brand in the world, and that's thanks to all the people who support me. So some people are not going to be happy to see you succeed, and I understand that. So sometimes when they they'll write all kinds of comments or, you know, I just block, I block fast. I block fast. And I oh, yeah, like, me too. <laughs> right, because, like, if you're coming into the world and – you're disrupting, you know, what people are doing online with ESPN and first take. People don't want to see that or they want they wish that it was them who was doing that particular thing. Mm. So when people uh, like and for example, like these people who go to the games to help the players, they want to be like these players, you know, because you're, you're paying a lot of money. Why would you pay courtside to go talk trash about? You want that player's attention. You want to be associated with them. So you're using their name to get clout. And clout is clout is the next. That's the word. Big, it's the next big addiction, you know, and the, the parts of your brain that light up when a video goes viral, right? That's the same, like, parts of your brain that light up, like, when you're addicted to something. So, like, it's literally a, addicting to go viral online. Like, it's an addictive feeling. So you have to be careful about that. So when somebody knows that, oh, uh, Russell Westbrook is uh, the guy that we can go after. If I make jokes about this, I'm going to get laughs. If I make jokes about this, I'm going to get clicks. Some people are getting rich off of making fun of a certain person that they wish they were or they wish they were associated with that person or that athlete or that team. You know, So I would not be surprised if it you know, was grown men with families who, you know, work every day and they go and they create like a backup account just to be able to get those jokes off. Because I say I say it like this, Doc. I feel like people who do that, the trolls, like you said, the dog avatars, SpongeBob avatars, those type of guys, it's always guys, it's always males. (laughs) But I think they're jealous. They're jealous of guys like us. They're jealous of the access that we have. Yeah. And it's crazy to me, man. It's like, why can't you just be a fan? It's nothing wrong with being a fan. My thing is, like, to say that you're a fan of somebody is actually a beautiful thing. It's great. Because if if you're into uh, podcasting and you're in the sports world and you become one of the 30 best people to do what you do, I'm a fan of what you do. I think that's a remarkable thing. You should you should celebrate that success, right? So if you like uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder, you like Westbrook, you like Ibaka, you like Kevin Durant. You can celebrate all three of those guys in their respective careers without tearing down any one of them. Like, it's a beautiful thing to be a fan, or even with um, uh, Kataji Jackson, you know, the um, Supreme Court nominee, to, to watch her do her thing. I'm a, I, I just figured out who she was recently, but I'm a fan of what she's done as a black woman. So there's no shame in saying that you're a fan of somebody else, but sometimes it's coming from a place of insecurity. You know, when you're not secure within yourself, you want to project that on other people and then say, oh, well, that person is really not that good, or uh, I don't think this person is that good, or uh, they're just, they'll throw all types of ad homonyms and, and name calling, but it comes from that insecurity within yourself. And 
jealousy as an emotion is not a bad emotion. Like everybody will feel jealous at some point, you know? Yes. Like think about the the guy the guys who play on the AAU teams with, you know, um all the NBA athletes today, right? Now they're probably at home like, oh I know guys, you know, who are like, Oh, I guarded Austin Rivers and you know, and now they're, you know, working a regular job. Nothing is wrong with that. So to be jealous you have to that's that's the beautiful thing about therapy. If you're jealous about a certain thing, you work through and you process those emotions and you figure out why am I jealous? What does it say about me? What part of myself could I work on so that way I won't be jealous? So yes. to be jealous yes. it's not a bad it's not a bad emotion. You have to but sometimes as men, you know, we have our pride and ego and that's a dangerous thing. So it's hard for us to to, you know, go get the professional help and ex- and accept the fact that Hey, I'm jealous of so and so. Why am I jealous? Because I wish I had that. Because therapy, because therapy should be celebrated, Doc. Like you said, yeah, it, it should be because it's life changing. You know, and when you realize these things, and as you know, anytime you're successful in a certain field, like it's getting crazy. Know, it's getting crazy for me right now, Doc. It's getting crazy. And and and. Now that it's getting crazy, that's the best time for you to really look and see. Because, like, you don't really change, but the people around you kind of change. It's happening. It's happening right now. Right. So you have people who are older than you calling you big bro or, you know, (laughs) it's it's weird. That's my favorite. That's my favorite one. You know, it's like. OG. OG, big bro. Right. Like, the thing is. If you weren't, you know, supporting in the beginning, I mean, you can you, you, you can join the bandwagon at any time, but like you want it to be consistent. And that's why go back to the athlete struggle. You know, a lot of times nobody talks about um, like this interactions with with women. You know, if you went from being, you know, just a regular guy and all of a sudden you have five million guaranteed thrown at you and that you have access to anybody and you're trying to figure out. Can I find somebody who is uh, suitable for me? Yes. I think even uh, uh, Lamelo's dad, uh, Lavar, and he, he should go down in the Hall of Fame with parents. <laughs> yes. he, he, yes. he, he said, uh, "He said no. My son is not going to be able to find somebody that wants him for him." You know, and it's kind of a negative, kind of pessimistic, but there's a lot of realism in there. Like it's very realistic. You get to that point where. You're a multi-million athlete. You're living in Charlotte. There's beautiful women everywhere. It's going to be hard for you to get somebody who wants you because, oh, you're a good guy. You, you take care of your brothers. You know, you love your niece or nephew and you're a good son. No, they're going to see what's on TV. They're going to be distracted by what's going on, you know. So it, it makes it difficult for you to set boundaries um, when things are changing so rapidly. Uh, but once again, that's the good thing about And even if – People don't go to therapy. Just have these conversation amongst, you know, the fellas, or or sometimes you have to have these conversation with certain men who are doing a similar thing because you may feel out of place. Uh, it's about finding your tribe so that way your feelings can be validated. Because if you're talking about a, a crazy experience that you had, the people back at home, you know, they don't understand what's going on because you're in a different lane. You know, so you're gonna feel like. You know, you, you you might feel like you're bragging, but things are going well for you right now. And yeah, we sh- we should celebrate 
when things go bad because in life things will be great and then things will be awful. So we should celebrate the good times and then when things are bad, accept it and let's process the pain and let's push through it. But um, there needs to be a safe space for everybody. I think people should not do things that they don't want to do. And at the same time, do things that you do want to do and not be worried about what other people will say. Uh, and sometimes it comes from like family members, you know, like the people who we care about the most will be concerned about what they have to say about us. So sometimes we might alter how we do things. And I've done this before. I remember when things started to go well for me, like I would avoid going around certain family members because I thought they were going to ask for money or, yeah. uh, you know, uh, and, and not that, and I would still do it for them sometimes, but sometimes like it'd be hard to figure out like, if I, if I stop giving you money, like, can we still have a relationship? Or they start you know? bringing up old memories. Like, remember cuz remember back in the day. And it's like, hold on. Where's this going? Where's this exactly. going? Exactly. And nobody, nobody ever talks about it from the success. For, success is traumatic just as it is. If you think about it, let's talk it's about very, it. Talk about that. That right there. That's a very, it's, a, it's survivor. Yeah. Is it survivor's remorse? it's all of it, you know, because you have that and then you're thinking about the people that you love back at home and sometimes, like, you want them to live how you live, but they don't want to do certain things. So you can still be friends with them. You know, I'm not a big fan of cutting people off, like, just like that. Have a relationship with them. Maybe you don't talk as often, but have a relationship with them because they, they still mean a lot to you. But to be successful requires so much to change. Tunnel vision. Uh, Tunnel vision. It's tough. And and even like for me here in L.A., like doing things, having NDAs, it's just a whole different world that is going on. And, uh, you know, so shout out to my therapist and people that help me out, uh, because you have to be able to process all of the emotions. And without understanding what's going on, you may feel like you're losing it. Uh, and uh, it's just good to hear from people who are doing a similar thing, because if you don't like stop and recalibrate uh you could lose yourself you know easily because you're trying to you know conform to what you think people expect out of you because there's a difference between what you want to do and what you think people want you to do you know and if you're getting views for a certain thing you're going to keep doing that thing but then your heart and your passion is in this lane on the left but people are like oh do this right here you know and everybody has an opinion on what, what you're doing um and you have to try and headlines people will slander your name and with this clickbait to say people headline read so if the headline looks good enough um you know that could be something else that you have to worry about so you have to really just listen to the people who have come before you and i feel like if you're somebody who you listen and you're willing to like learn from other people older and younger you should be you should be good but when i first came my first day in l.a I got a, a voice message from um, Demi Lovato, and I thought it was a fake one at first. Demi Lovato. You know, yeah, I, I thought it was one of the fan accounts, but um, it was actually her, and she had seen one of my TikToks, and then she had followed. And um, I give her credit because, once again, people say all kinds of stuff about Demi Lovato, but my first day in L.A., she did reach out, and she did say that, you know, if you're going to be a mental health champion in this city, you want to protect yourself and don't apologize for doing what you need to do for your own mental health. And that is so true because like 
I, I get flooded with DMs of people saying, if you don't reply, I'm going to cut myself. If you, oh, like, I didn't think like, about it. I, didn't never, I never thought about it that way from, from your perspective. That's crazy. Oh, oh yeah. I'm, I'm, even, I'm afraid to open up a picture now because I did it one time and somebody, I, I don't know how much I can say without getting in trouble, but it, it, it's, just, it's wild. And uh, the success is good, but it can be overwhelming. Um, so I had to take a step back and I had to force myself to figure out, all right, what's going to work better for me, you know? So now like Monday through Thursday, half a Friday, I work, I take weekends off. Um, Cause you can get burnt out doing this too. And just by being in the mental space, you're so used to, you know, taking on other people's trauma and processing and then helping, helping them out. Yeah. You just got to so decompress. You, you got to decompress on your own. Exactly. And um, it's funny that, you know, uh, we're having this, interview today because today is uh the last day of me seeing patients you know I'm, I'm putting that aside so i can focus on the social media uh full-time because i was doing that part-time uh and um you know i have to ask myself like why am i doing this i'm not doing it for the money i'm doing it to help people out but then you know it's it's hard to have a whole day of seeing patients and you know they're going through real trauma and then after that I, I, I cut on the video and I started dancing on TikTok. It doesn't work that way. You know, I, have, I, I gotta, I gotta hop into like a different form of myself to do. Yeah, that. sir. So this is breaking you know, news, Doc. Not to cut you off. This is breaking news right here on the Some Do Show. Yeah, yeah, breaking news. So yeah. you're stepping out of the everyday practice, and you're going because I, I feel like you're going to do that because you want to, you want to spread your message to more and more people and touch more lives. Exactly, and I, uh, I've been working part-time here and there and uh you know i was working full-time I, I moved to la last year um so i've been in la for about 14 15 months um doing social media full-time and you know seeing patients part-time like telehealth like through the computer um but it got to the point where like like once again the same advice i got from demi like know when know when you're approaching your limit and know when it, like you have to step back for yourself uh, and then I had to talk to my assistants and I'm like, all right, the 28th is going to be the last day because I can't do uh, both. And even then, a little bit of guilt on my end, like people, you know, messaging on Facebook saying, you know how hard it is to find a, a good doctor. You actually listen. If you step away, that's going to make people, uh, it's going to make people uh, have a harder time finding a doctor. Why are you doing videos online? And to be honest, I actually like that. That comment hurt me only because I believed it partially at one point, if that makes sense. You see what I'm saying? So, once again, with the insecurities, is like if somebody is joking about something that you don't care about, you're like, oh, whatever. But if you if you believe that thing to be true, yes, yeah, and you it's, and that you residue, actually, it's that residue, man. It's gonna stick. You can feel it, it sticks to you, exactly. And that's something that I learned from this. Going to therapy myself, I was like, "Oh, okay." So that's why that comment hurts. That's why that comment hurts. So, you know, and it's rare because I'm one of those IDGAF people. There's not much that really gets me, you know. So that did hurt, but then obviously I process it and, and I realize that. And what is that I, called? I, what is that called? Because I think I'm like that. I call myself a Viking. Like I have real thick skin, and sometimes when you have thick skin. The one or two times you reply to somebody or clap at somebody on social media, they'll be like, oh, you triggered. It's like, no, nah, bro, I'm really, okay. I'm really laughing 99% of the time at this stuff. But because I have thick skin, like you say, so how do you develop that thick skin like that? It'd be numb to shit. 
you actually develop it by by processing your emotions. Like like you you go through things, you don't go around it. So like if you come across a certain emotion and it's a weird emotion, you have to like go through it, like work through that emotion. Why do you feel this way uh, at this particular time? Because most of what is said to me online, like the N word, I mean, you're not gonna phase me. But when somebody said that about me leaving to do social media, I felt it for a split second, you know. And the only other time that I ever felt this was when I was writing my um, my first book, and I was trying to figure out whether I was going to talk about ADHD in the book. And get this: the thing that I was the the only thing that I was afraid about, you know, was the fact that if I put in my book that I took like Adderall in college, that people would say that that's the only reason why I was successful. That was the only thing that I thought about to myself. I'm like, you know what? What could somebody say, like, you know, as I started to do social media that would make me feel like, damn, this doesn't feel good. And, and that was it. If somebody were, were like, oh, uh, he he took that all in college, so that's why he's successful. You know, kind of like the, uh, you know, 8 Mile, when Eminem snitched himself at the end. And yeah, the, uh, yeah, he tried to, the, you try to yeah. get out in front of it because it's like, y'all not going to use this to try to discredit my my greatness. Exactly. So that was a thing for me. So once I did that, I was able to get the, the, the thick skin because I was being as authentic as possible. I'm like, there's nothing that anybody can come out and say that I did this or I did that. And, you know, you always worry about, you know, being canceled. And as a black man, too, you know, uh, just anytime you're on the verge of something, uh, you know, amazing – like I don't know, something, something happened. Something. <laughs> what what happened last night, Doc? Let's talk about it real quick. <laughs> <laughs> what happened last night? Oh, at the uh, I saw you was at one of the oh, parties. You was at one of the parties, right? Yeah, I got to go to the um, the Oscars event. My first. Time. I never even watched the Oscars before, so I got to go. Um, I, I was I was excited to be out there, uh, and people were asking me. If I saw what happened at the front, I said I'm a I'm a D-list celebrity, so I didn't have the good seats. <laughs> but yeah, we D, we D-list right now, dog. We D-list. No, we really A-list. They try to treat us like we C or D, but we coming, bro. So what do you think it, it is? What do you think it is? Last night you saw Will Smith. You know he slapped yeah. Chris Rock. So what's the diagnosis? What break it down for the people right now on the Some Dude Show? So I can't legally diagnose Will Smith or or Chris Rock, but. What's going on is <laughs> laughing, man. is the, the online bullying, you know, if you if you poke a bear too many times, he's fed up. You know, he's fed you up. Know, you're going to get hit. And uh, that's what happened. And uh, I don't think it was just Chris Rock. Chris Rock had made a joke five years or six years ago about Will and Jada. But it's been the people who are making jokes about the August situation. And if you ty- if you just type in Will and Jada online, you're going to find a Tupac joke somewhere thrown in there. Yeah. So it's oh. been all of this. It, it, it appears as if Will has not processed everything because it clearly hurts him. You know, like there are only two quiet moments uh, during the Oscars. That moment and then the moment when Will Smith was talking, when he accepted the speech. Uh, nobody was on their phone. Like when he was talking and he got the award, he had everybody's undivided attention. And he, yeah. he was on there for like yes. a good three, four minutes. Nobody said a word. Even I, I was on my phone. I got off my phone. I was Yeah, I was I was stuck. Yeah. We're, we were all stuck listening to what he had to say. And, you know, th- there was that parallel between the King Richard, you know, 
the the William sisters' uh, father and him, you know, like he said, uh, uh, Richard Williams is a fierce defender of his family. Fire and fire, right? And you could see the same thing with, with Will um, being a fierce defender of his family. And once again, that people ask me all the time to speak on like Kanye and Kim and P. Davidson. I stay out of it because obviously I'm out here in L.A. But you want to be careful what you say about somebody. You could actually run, at least for us, you could actually run into that person. And at some point, you have to face them man to man. And I think Chris Rock was going for the biggest laugh. Uh, but Will Smith had reached that breaking point. Where, oh my God! <laughs> you know, so was it real? So was it real? You think it was oh, it, real, Doc? Yeah, it, it, it was a thousand percent real. It was a thousand percent real. And, and I was confused because I, I thought Will Smith is such a good actor that I don't know if it was staged. But it was. It was a. That was my first reaction. Real. My first reaction, like, oh, this is staged. I thought. I thought it was fake because I was telling myself that it was fake. But then I'm like. And, and I knew that uh, the um, Best Actor Award was going to come eventually. So I'm like, why would he put himself in a position to get thrown out before he could possibly win, you know, an award? I was like, this, is, this doesn't make sense. It must have been something that they – and then Chris Rock is also on, on tour now. Like, he started to, to tour again. So I'm thinking it's a public Yeah, stuff. yep, I did too. Um, you know, and I'm just – like, Chris Rock is my favorite comedian. I'm just happy to see Chris Rock. But – uh it was clearly real, and um, it, it just goes back to that <laughs> online bullying. You know, you, you talk about somebody, and and this is how bad it's gotten. It's gotten so bad to the point that people forget that Will is still married to Jada. I think people forget that because you throw in the Tupac, you throw in the the you throw in everything, you throw in the the open marriage. People still forget that at the end of the day, that's, that's his wife. Still, that's his wife. That man. man's wife, and if he's chosen to stick by his wife. As a man, like you gotta respect it. Like where I'm from, like you can't. If you talk about somebody's wife, bad things will happen to you. Let's just say that bad you know, things. So, bad things will happen. So for Will, I, you know, it, it goes back to the the Westbrook thing. People will say things online, um, and he can't do anything about that, you know. But I think that was Will's opportunity to do something. Um, and Chris in real time, about, in real time, <laughs> in real time, right? But. And and I don't and I don't condone any violence, and I know the academy doesn't condone any violence. Uh, but if you look at it ironically, this is the one situation where Will could do something and get away with it because Chris declined to um, press charges, and I knew he would because there's nothing for him to gain. Like he doesn't gain anything from this thing being drawn out. He doesn't gain anything. He doesn't need the money. You know, pretty much he just needs to let this thing, you know, ride out so that he can go back on tour. But once again, with, with, with mental health, I know Will Smith just came out with a book and talked about how he's worked so many hours to be the best actor in Hollywood. And then he even revealed that at one point he was suicidal. So, uh, I mean, Will Smith. He's, he's going through a lot. He's going through a lot. Yeah, he, he's going through a lot. So I know we make jokes, but at the same time, if somebody was out there to, you know, cause, and afterwards he went to, uh, he was dancing at the, um, the, yeah, um, at, yeah, the get jiggy with it at the party, right? Right. So he was at the after party dancing, having a good time, but taking selfies with Jada. So I, I think it's gonna blow over. It's gonna be all good. They'll probably end up. These two guys will probably end up putting this behind, you know, putting this behind them and, and probably working on something together. So I got two more questions, Doc. Two more quick questions. Yeah. Hollywood mental health expert, 
Dr. Kojo Sarfo on the Some Dude yes, Show. Sir. I see. We got to talk about the women for a second in a, in a very good way. This is not negative. Mm-hmm. This is a very healthy conversation. You know, it's a yeah. lot of beautiful women out there in this world. And a lot of those beautiful women, they listen to the Some Dude Show. Mm-hmm. You know, they listen to the show. They support me. They've been riding for years, man. So I feel like this is my own personal opinion. I feel like there's a lot of women out there, mainly on Instagram, who they sometimes compare their lives to other women's lives. Like they see what somebody mm-hmm. else doing, her body. Yeah. She got the BBL. She got the nice butt. She got the nice waist. She got the curves. Do you think too much social media, too much social media and comparing yourself to others, can that kind of trigger depression sometimes? I absolutely think so. You know, and it's funny because if you look in the, the, the Bible of psychiatry, right, the DSM-5, you know, it it's, doesn't have anything in there that says social media can make you depressed. But I think depression can come from a lot of things, right, even beyond the chemical imbalances, you know, lack of finances, you know, or now because social media, if you don't have something, you can see it in, in, in 4K that somebody has something and you don't have it. And you're not only seeing it, but you're reminded of it every single day. And for women, you know, if you're sitting there and you have, uh, you know, your girlfriends and y'all are discussing to get the BBL, just for example, and they get it and you don't get it. And they go on to get all this male attention. And then you're sitting there in the background, you know, you're going to feel the way, you know, more likely than not. So it's very difficult for women uh, on social media because you're being constantly compared to women who have an advantage, right? So if you you have, you know, enhancements or you have the finances, you're going to look better. I would say people look better when they have more money because you have more chances to fix your imperfections. That's facts. So you're, com- you're <laughs> That's comparing, facts. Yeah, you're comparing yourself to somebody who is a multimillionaire. They don't have to work 40, 50 hours a week like you. So they're in the gym all the time. And on top of that, when they're doing the photo shoots, it's heavily edited, you know. And Norway is one country that uh, I wouldn't say they've prevented people from editing photos and posting on Instagram. Uh, because, yeah, they're worried about these mental health effects of, you know, a lady looking at, you know, another, you know, famous Instagram model with a BBL. And then, you know, as guys, you know, we have to also – you know, we don't make it any easier because we yeah, like, we feed the wolves. Uh, I, I gotta admit, I'm the CEO. <laughs> I'm the CEO and owner of Feed the Wolves. And let me explain that why I have you on here, Doc. This is a perfect time. A lot of people follow me on Instagram. They see me feeding the wolves, and I always try to explain to y'all, to the ladies, because the ladies be hitting me up like, "Yo, when you gonna post my picture? Or why can't you post my picture?" That's that competition stuff that we just spoke on, and the fellas. I do this for y'all, man. So when you see me on Instagram feeding the wolves, it's not for me. Honestly, it's not really for me, even though I can look and enjoy. You know, I can, I can look, window shop, but it's for the fellas. It's for the fellas. Yeah, I, I, I see. I, I even uh, replied to one, you know, the one who dropped this. <laughs> uh, she dropped a 76 point quadruple double yes quadruple doubles you 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 never know what you're gonna see on there but i do that because i'll try to include everybody and make it inclusive but i still get hate i still have people in my comments like you said i get dms with women saying why why can't you post this type of woman it's like yo it's not a competition and and i've got similar dms too 
uh, of people asking, are you with that uh, lady, blah, 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 or is that your preference? And, like, I don't get into that. And it's the unfortunate thing is that women seem to care a lot about what other women think of Yes. Them. You know, so it's not, it's not to impress the guys, but it's to be seen as a certain type of woman amongst your peers. And if that's what's important to you, then I respect that because everybody should have a chance to have their val- uh, feelings validated. But if you can root your self-esteem in healthy things, for example, as a guy, sometimes if you make more money, you start to think you're invincible. But if you can root your self-esteem in, oh, no, I'm a good son, I'm a good father, I'm a good uncle, I'm a good human being, you know, that's more likely to be – you can sustain that. And same thing with, with a lady. I'm a good wife, I'm a good mother, I'm a good sister, I'm a good human being. I treat people well, you know, but you don't get any cool points for doing those things. That's a great point. That's a great point. Those are bonus points. Those are real life bonus points right there. Exactly. This question right here is for everybody, man, that has like kids or teenage kids, mainly teenagers. Like you see how, how much they change over the years where their attitudes change, their moves change. You start to notice that stuff. And you, and you start to say, well, is my kid depressed? Or you never know what they're going through. Because I remember being a teenager, and we didn't have a lot of this terminology. Like, we didn't understand depression. We didn't have social media. We didn't right. even see these words. They didn't even teach us these things in school. But, like, you see kids now, and the question I have is, like, you see kids now who spend so much time on devices, and they get so much screen time. Do you think that plays a factor and a role in, in teenage depression with the screen time and just always being in your room a lot? It could. Uh, I can't say that the screen time is leading to it, but it definitely could. Uh, and, and at the same time, we have to keep in mind that the world is changing because of, you know, the COVID pandemic and how things are. There's a, a less of a need to be social. You know, you can sit in your house and you can grab podcasts, you can DoorDash, you can Instacart, you know, like, you don't really have to leave your house to get human interaction. You can go live on social media. So now we're so dependent on our devices that it's changed the game in terms of how we communicate. You know, so sometimes like, I think we're all adjusting to the fact that technology is going to be here. You know, but with, as it is with everything, you do need moderation. You know, and I have some, seen some studies that show that the more time you spend online or with devices, it could lead the depressive symptoms not that it always will but it could yeah. so it's mindful it's mindful to do that and then you know with depression it can be silent you know if somebody's isolating themselves in their room you know that could be a sign if somebody is if they've stopped doing things that they used to enjoy doing you know and i tell a lot of parents like you know your kids like what's that one thing that they do all the time like if for example if uh it's football season and i don't watch the titans play like, I, I haven't missed a game, like, what, 20-something years. Like, if I miss a game uh, and, you know, that's a sign, okay, like, go check on him because he doesn't normally miss a game. Yeah, you know? something like, is wrong. Something is definitely wrong if you miss the Titans game. Exactly. So you have to know your kids and, the uh, you know, depression. There's so many different forms of depression. You can have a typical depression where you sleep too much and you're eating too much. And sometimes people don't know that when you're depressed, you tend to reach for foods that are – high in, you know, starch and, and carbs, you know? So there's so many, like, little signs that people do that give away depression. Your your posture is not, you don't stand as straight, like you're slumped over. You don't make eye contact uh, as much. 
Um, you know, you become irritable with small things. Like something small can really frustrate you, you know. So even with the Will Smith situation, like he's smiling after fire, but nobody knows what's going on at home for him to, you know, like have that outburst, you know, in such a public setting. So I'm not saying that he's oppressed, but depression has so many faces. So I think just for the, the parents, it's important to know your kid, but also to have that line of communication with them because sometimes it's hard for parents, you know, because you have to be a parent and then you want to be cool to your kid, but you don't want to be their friend because you're still their parent at the end of the day, you know, but you don't want to lose that line of communication with them to where they won't tell you about what's going yes, on in yes. their lives. Communication and is the word, doc. Communication. That, that's, that's a scary thing because kids will suffer in silence because they came to tell you, they, they came and they tried to tell you something. They put out a feeler and you brush them off. So now the, sometimes the people that they get the most validation from are their friends who are doing drugs and doing all kinds of things because at the very least they don't judge. So they can go talk to that person and get that validation on the, oh, so-and-so is going to support me. So with, par- with parents, if you can, don't shut your kids down. Uh, and if they won't talk to you, if you have like a, you know, like maybe like some parents, maybe they have a younger sibling who is like closer in age to their child who could reach out to the kid. Uh, and that might be like the cool uncle or the cool aunt who could take the kid out and get the truth out of the kid. And, uh, you know, I've talked to many panels, you know, with suicide survivors, and they've all told me that anytime somebody asked them about if they were suicidal, that was actually a relief as opposed to people thinking that you're putting a thought in their head. So oh. sometimes it's, it's an uncomfortable I, I conversation. Never, I never heard that. Yeah. It, people don't know. Just to ask somebody, like, hey, like, have you had thoughts of, like, feel like, you know, you'd be better off if you weren't here or something like that? And then sometimes they may, like, hint at it, and then you can support them, and then you can let them feel that they're not alone or that it's not weird. Like, a lot of people have chronic passive suicidal thoughts. Not like they're going to hurt themselves, but they're like, oh, if I were dead, it'd be cool, but... I don't have the courage to go through with it. People live like that for years and years. So if you can sometimes just validating that experience and then not freaking out, it lets them feel like they're safe. But this is a very difficult conversation. Obviously, like I do this for a living. But oh, this is real. The, I, I love the, it. I the love person, it. The average person is a very difficult conversation. And, and also in the black community to, to talk about it. Normally we talk about it on the back end. We have to wait for um, and this is why I hope that we can, you know, because, like, I mean, I'm, I make the videos and the dances and the skits online, but I hope we can get the conversation going before something tragic happens. Like, I don't want an athlete to pass away or something like that before people are like, oh, well, we shouldn't have been saying this about them. You know, maybe we should have shown them love while they were here. Like, yes. they're here now. Let's, let's respect anybody who has made it to that professional level. Let's respect them. They're good at something that a lot of people can't do, you know. So just giving people an opportunity to talk about these things and having the uncomfortable conversations. Like, literally, if you notice that somebody is sad, say, hey, like, sometimes you think about, like, not wanting to be here or um, I'm just here to support you with a friend. Like, that can save somebody's life. Mm. You know, it, it cuts deep if you can just have the courage to open up and, and uh, say that. And I hope that in the black community we can um, – we can get that conversation going because I don't think it's just not, that's one of the things that um, not to say it's a criticism against me. I've talked about racism and black mental health online, but that's one thing that has not generated 
any traction at all. No traction at all. And I, I'm out here in Hollywood. I'll tell you, I made, you know, a lot of good money out here, you know, enough for me to not work my job. I haven't received a single penny from a black organization, you know, and they know where to find me. Wow. I'm talking about mental health. Yeah, like literally, like, I talk about my my publicist, and he's like, yeah. Like, I, I do stuff for free for the black community, but it seems as if we don't care about mental health until it's a tragedy. And after that... To afterward. You're saying to afterwards, then they want to talk or ask questions, but, like, beforehand, right. like the Michael Beasley interview... Or like, like you yep. said, like stuff like exactly. that was like somebody should be reaching out to him right now and saying, yo, bro, exactly. I'm here for you. Right. And showing him love without expecting anything in return. Like literally, like go show him love and, 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 and you have to publicize it. You don't have to say, oh, I'm the person who helped on Michael Beasley or, oh, he, um, he, he gave me some money or he gave me a follow or he gave, like if you can go help somebody without, because that's what he needs at this time, somebody to help him without wanting anything. And it's going to be hard for him based on the interview that I watched. It's not impossible. You can do it, but it might be difficult in the beginning because he's thinking, damn, uh, they're going to help me out. And after that, they're going to ask for an autograph or they're going to ask for, you know, some money or they're going to ask me to put them on. Like if you can do without expecting anything in return, that can go a long way. And and as a community, we really need it. We we have to have this. We have to make it cool. You know, like I was joking with my followers. I said, I have to make a song with Gunna before we can, you know, finally. Yeah, yeah, I uh, feel you. I feel uh, you. Put it out there. Like maybe if you put it over a hot beat, um, you know, it will work. So, uh, and it's not even me saying uh, the black community is not trying to pay attention to me. It's me more so looking at it like a challenge. Like, oh, okay, all right, bet. What can I do to switch up the game? Uh, because we don't have the same access that, you know, our Caucasian counterparts have yeah. mental health resources. So it's not uh, uh, something like, oh, black folks don't mess with me. No, it's, it's a very complicated issue. And instead of being upset. You motivate, you're motivated now. You still, you motivated. Exactly. And, and that's the benefit of like professional therapy on my end, because as things are changing fast, I can process emotions. And instead of being like, oh, black folks don't want to support me out here. I'm like, no, I'm black. We're black. We're in this together. So how can I figure out a way to be more crafty? How can I get to inner city youth? You know, like, what can I do that would change the game? Instead of saying, oh, black folks don't want to support me. Because that's not a productive statement, you know? Because <laughs> it's not moving yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. forward. So I just have to get a little bit more crafty and figure out what can I do. That's all. That's all. Right. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm down for that challenge. Yeah. Hopefully conversations like this on the some do show. That's why I reached out to you. I could tell your energy. You had those vibrations. I could tell you are real, are real about this and you a genuine dude, man. So hopefully a conversation like this can broaden that situation for you in the black community, because I know it's a lot of us out here dealing with stuff. And I consider yeah. you like an asset. So people should be following you. So where can they follow you? Before I let you go, like where can they follow you on social media? Like what's your platforms? I appreciate that. So I think a, a good starting point is probably Instagram because a lot of folks still don't have TikTok. But if you go on Instagram and, uh, you know, Instagram.com slash Dr. Cordo Sarfo, there's a link in there that has everything that I'm doing. I have a late night show on Facebook. We go live four times a week, Monday through Thursday. Nine o'clock your time on the East Coast, six o'clock on the West Coast, 
And I post on TikTok as my biggest platform as well. So I'm on TikTok, IG, um, and then uh, Facebook. Those are my three main platforms. Uh, and that's where somebody can go to follow and keep up with me. So you at two million? You at two million right now? Talk your talk, man. Don't be like that on here. Yeah, we, uh, we got two, yeah, 2.2 million on TikTok and then like 200K on Facebook. No, 200K on IG and 300 something on, um, on Facebook. Man, talk that talk. Dr. Kojo Sofo, man. Man, I appreciate this conversation. I know we went real long, but it was much needed conversation for the people. Thank you, Cuffs. I appreciate you, man. I sit alone in my four-cornered room staring at candles. Oh, yeah. And there you have it. Another episode of the Some Dude Show. I am your host, Cuffs, the legend. I told y'all there's no other podcast like this in the entire world. I want to give a big shout out to my special guest, Hollywood mental health expert, Dr. Kojo Sarfo. Make sure you give him a follow on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. And also, make sure you go over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Stitcher and Google Podcasts and subscribe to the Some Do Show. I want to thank everybody for the support, man. It's been real. It's been real serious, y'all. Things starting to get even more serious for your boy. And I just want to say I appreciate all of it. I really do. Yes. Shout out to Houston, Texas, man. Brad Jordan, Scarface. Willie D, the ghetto boys. I make big money. I drive big cars. Everybody know me. It's like I'm a movie star. But late at night, something ain't right. I feel I'm being tailed by the same sucker's headlights. That move that I ran off the block Or is it that nigga last week that I shot Or is it the one I beat for $5,000 Thought he had cane but it was gold Met a flower, reached under my seat Grab my papa for the suckers Ain't no use in the line I was scared of than a motherfucker Put the left in the Popeyes and burned out quick If it's going down, let's get this shit over with Then they come, just like I figured I got my hand on the motherfucking trigger When I saw make your ass start giggling Three black crippling crazies Senior citizens. I live by the swamp. I take my boys everywhere I go because I'm paranoid. I keep looking over my shoulder and peeping around corners. My mind is playing tricks on me. Rest in peace, Bushwick Bill. This one of the greatest rap songs ever recorded. I remember this shit came out. I was like the fifth grade, man. My big cousin Soup, rest in peace, used to cut my hair. I said, yo, cuz, I want a design in the back. I want the heart. I want the heart with the heartbreak. Yeah, I want it. Cuz hooked it up for me. Rest in peace, cuz. Mental health is real, y'all. If you're going through something, you need somebody to talk to, try your best to make that happen. We all go through things. But that's bullshit I got a little boy to look after And if I die, then my child will be a bastard I had a woman down with me But to me, it seemed like she was down to get me She helped me out in this shit But to me, she was just another bitch Now she's back with her mother 
Now I'm realizing that I love her. Let's go. Now I'm feeling lonely. My mind is playing tricks on me. Scarface. You got to have Scarface on your down south Mount Rushmore rappers, right? Let's go, Bill. This year, Halloween fell on the weekend. Me and Ghetto Boys are trick-or-treating. Robbing little kids for bags. Till an omen got behind our ass. So we speeded up the pace. Took a look back, and he was right before our face. He'd be in for a squabble, no doubt. So I swung and hit the nigga in his mouth. He was going down, we figured. But this wasn't no ordinary nigga. He stood about six or seven feet. Now that's the nigga I be seeing in my sleep. So we triple teamed on him. Dropping them motherfucking bees on him. The more I swung, the more blood flew. Then he disappeared and my boys disappeared too. Then I felt just like a fiend. It wasn't even close to Halloween. It was dark as fuck on the streets. My hands were all bloody from punching on the concrete. God damn, homie. My mind is playing tricks on me. Shout out to all the fellas listening. All the men listening to the Some Do Show. If you feel like you need to talk to somebody, shit, you can hit me up. Instagram, Twitter, at Cuffs the Legend. I'm a real one. 